Isaiah 43 in your Bibles tonight. Verses 1 through 7. Beautiful text. Just the whole structure and the framework of it, which I hope to make clear to you tonight, is just beautiful. It's laid out very nicely in a lot of ways. It's an easy preacher's text, I can tell you. Isaiah 43, verse 1, are two words we've discussed already. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba, in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples, in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, don't withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. But now, those words are important because, let me tell you, we're in a little bit of a mini-series on living in God's story. And we looked at Solomon, and we've looked at Joseph, And tonight we want to look at Israel as a nation in this pet text and how we live in God's story, obviously not our own. Um, Israel was not doing that. They were living in their own story, really the story that the nations around them had written, and they had chose to live in, in that. And God describes that in the way his people were by describing them as being deaf and blind. He does it before our text, and he does it after our text. Let me show you four Chapter 4, um, 42, I should say, I'm sorry, and verses 18 through 20. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. If you look after our text in the very next verse in 43.8, here's what he says. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf and have ears. The problem with, with Israel and why they're in the predicament they were in is because they had not lived out God's mission. They were not living out his purposes. And for our uh, purposes tonight, we'd say they weren't living in his story as being a light to the nations. Um, They weren't doing that at all. In fact, God was judging them for it, and that's why they had been taken out into exile. They had become deaf to what God was doing in this world. They had become blind to his purposes, and they were living out their own story. And really, honestly, that is a very relevant admonition. It is possible to be God's people or profess to be such and live blind and deaf to his story on a regular basis. Um, We like to claim him as Savior and God, but often our lives are living in someone else's story, most often our own, but oftentimes culture and otherwise. 
And here's what the Bible says, that we turn blind eyes and deaf ears to what God is really wanting our lives to be about and the purposes that he has for this world and how we fit into his story. And he says to them that that's what my people are doing. They are blind and deaf. In fact, let me tell you a little bit more even exactly. He says right before, in verse 24, who gave up Jacob to the looter, 42, 24, and Israel to the plunderers. Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? And whose ways, listen, we would not walk. Now, I drew a circle in my Bible from that word walk to the verses in our text. 43, and it says, verses, verse 2, When you pass the waters, I'll be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire. You know, they were walking in disobedience. And God says, you know what, because of that, you may have to walk through some rivers. You may have to walk through some fires that God brings into your life to bring you back to him. And that's where they were at. And see, that's what God wants to do tonight. He wants to get your attention. He wants you to see that you need to live and help your kids to live in his story and not your own. And so he says... If you go blind to my purposes and you turn a deaf ear to my word about how I want you to live and whose story I want you to live in, see, here's what he says. I can change that. But now are two words of reversal. But now, now let me tell you, you can write it down in your Bible, but chapter 44, one chapter over, uses that same phrase again. Verse chapter 44, and you can see if you read the text leading up to it, that he's describing some of the things that they were doing, idolatry being one of the chief ones. He says, chapter 44, verse 1, But now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus the Lord made you, who formed you. Now, that's the same creation language that marks our text. Draw a line again. This is going to be pretty grammatical tonight. Look at the text, because this is what God wants to say to you about what this story is about. Verse 1 uses the word Create informed. See it in verse 1? Now draw a line from that to the end of our text, which brackets it. Verse 7 uses the two same Hebrew words again, created informed. Now he wants them to know this. Listen, he wants them to know that he physically as a nation was their creator. He wasn't just talking about creation physically that I made your human bodies, although that's true. But in the text, because remember how Isaiah is built? The book is built, chapters 1 through 39, what got them into trouble and got them into exile and the end of their nation, really, for the longest time. And then he says 40 through 66 is what God's going to do in the future for them when he keeps his promises and brings them back to the promised land and fulfills all the things that he said to them, chiefly through the Messiah. So in this passage, which is in the second half of the book, he's telling them that you need to walk in my story and be, why? Because I formed and made you. I'm the author of your story. I'm the one who made you. I brought you and made you a nation. You didn't come to be Israel on your own. God says, I'm the one who writes your story. Now, I'm going to give you the verses, and you can listen to the tape later, or I can give them to you. There is a beautiful study. I did it this week. We, can't, we don't have close the amount of time. Let me give you some verses about how God uses in the New Testament the same now, but now testimonies. Ready? Romans is the best book, and there are seven of them in there. Romans 3.21, 1 
Romans 6.22, and 16.26. Almost literally, again, framing out Romans to some ways, chapter 3 to the end of the book. But now, over and over and over, God says, this is what you were, but now. But now, over and over again. Ephesians 2.13, 5.8. You were children of darkness, but now you are children of light. Walk as children of light. Colossians 3.11. And on and on, there are numerous texts all throughout the New Testament that here's what it says. You know what salvation is? Hear me. Salvation is many things. One way to look at it is it's an exchange of stories. That you were living in this story and now you live in God's story. I like to say it used to be self-glory and that was a story and now you've changed it to God's glory and that's what your story and what you live for is all about. It is a miraculous change. Look at our text again. He says, but now, says the Lord, 43.1, he who created you, now don't miss it, the names. Names are big in this passage. O Jacob... Formed you what? O Israel. Now that is a story in itself because if you read Genesis 32, you're going to read the story of Israel, the supplanter, the deceiver, and how, I'm sorry, Jacob, and how Jacob was transformed on that one night that he wrestled with God and limped the rest of his days. God took him from being deceiver Jacob to what? He left that story and he became Israel, who is the prince with God. Those little names are used nine different times in the second half only of Isaiah, which means every time God is using it, he wants to tell you, hey, Israel, you used to be this, Jacob, but now you are Israel. And let me tell you this, when God says you're mine, when God calls you by name, when God makes you one of his children, he expects your life to be different. Just like Jacob became Israel, so Israel was the same thing as a nation. So God says to all of us tonight, listen, you being saved, you, be, you knowing me ought to make a difference in your life, just like it did when Jacob went from Jacob to Israel. It's a radical change. And here's what he says. Fear not. Now, again, ready? There's some more structure here. Circle verse 2, fear not. Circle verse 5, because he duplicates it. There are two commands not to fear. Stay with me. I'm going to give you more ammunition so you can do this on your own the rest of the week. He does this combination of more than one fear not with the same sort of made you, formed you, created you language numerous times. Let me show you one that Dennis will love because this is his favorite verse. The other one is, could you look at it with me? Same kind of text, Isaiah 41 He says, and it's verse number 10. I'm trying to find it myself. Oh, there it is. Beautiful. 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you, he says. Verse number 14. Fear not, you worm Jacob. And later on, he calls them Israel. So you can see it again right there in chapter 41. Fear not, and then name change. Then also he he does it again. If I could have you turn over and look at chapter 44. And he does it in verse 1. 
Use that, verse two, I'm sorry, creation language. Thus says the Lord who made you, formed you, help you. He says, fear not, O Jacob. Also look down in verse eight, another paragraph that's framed by the commands, fear not. Verse eight, fear not nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there any God beside me? There is no rock, not any other than him. Here's what God wants to say tonight to you. See, have you ever thought about this? And, I, and I'd like you to have a little bit of a feedback here. And when you change stories from self-glory to God's glory, and you recognize that God has made you his own, I would call this a little bit of a talk about election, that it says in verse 2, I've redeemed you, back in 43.1, I've called you by, your name, by my name, you are mine. Structure again, draw another line, ready? At the end of the text, he says the opposite. I called you by your name. And then in verse 7, he says, everyone who is called by my name. So which one is it? Well, it's both. See, here's what God does when he saves you. He forms a relationship with you and takes you out of this story and has a relationship that goes both ways. You belong to him. Watch. And now he belongs to you. See, he calls you your name. See, Jacob, you used to be Jacob, and now you're Israel. See, God changes you by naming you. In the Bible, you know, when some, something names something, like Adam named the animals, it's because he had dominion over them. Even when Adam named Eve and called her the woman of all living, the mother of all living, he had authority in their relationship as the husband in that relationship. When you name something, you, God says, here's your new name, and he named people all throughout the Bible. People come and say, God, who are you? And ask his name. And he says, who are you to ask my name? You can't ask God's name and he, tell, he has to tell you it. Why? Because you can't have authority over him. But in this text, here's what it says. God says, I gave you your name. And at the same time, I called you by my name. It's identity. See, when you get saved, you change stories. And that story changes who you are. It's not that you lose all of your former identities, right? You still have your cultural background. You still have your ethnicity. You still have some things that were in your family. But it changes the crux and the core of who you are. That's how radical living in God's story really is. And when you think about it, listen to this. I'm going to skip down a little bit, and then I want you to answer me. He says, I gave Cush and Seba for you. It was Egypt. See, I sacrificed them. See, I gave up Egypt and took you. See, I didn't choose them. I chose you. When I redeemed you, I bought you out of your slavery, he says. I did all that. I gave, and then here's the phrase that he used. I gave men for you. I gave people for you. In other words, when I looked out and chose you, there were bigger nations, better nations, more powerful nations. I didn't choose any of them. He says, and, the, and he uses the word twice. Twice, I exchanged them for you. And, and look how they've treated God. They didn't worship him only. They were guilty of idolatry. They are incredibly disobedient. And God says, and look, I still chose you. Have you ever thought that in your life? Have you ever sat back? I'm, on, I'm in the airplane or in the airport a while back. I'm sitting there, all these people going by. And I'm wondering if any of them or hardly any of them are even Christians. And I look at them and say, but I am. How's that possible? Have you ever wondered why all the people in your family and you're the only one who's a believer? You ever look around at your office building and all the people that you work with and say, they don't see their job like I do. 
Not because, and again, no boasting. Incredible humility. Does it ever overwhelm you and say, God, why? Why me? God said, I gave Ethiopia and Cush. I gave Egypt for you. I traded people for you. You were, why? And he says, because you were precious in my eyes. I honored you. I exalted you to be the nation above all nations. And he says, and I loved you and I redeemed you. He has to have all these words to explain all that he had done for them. But they disobeyed. And here's what he says to them. Ready? Fear not. Even though you have done all that and you're still wayward, he goes, I want you to know I still love you. Listen to this story. Is this not what God is talking about when he talks about Jacob? Joseph and his dad, Jacob, dies. Read Genesis 45 through 50. Jacob, his sons are still around. Jacob has died. And now they're afraid. Why? Because now that Jacob's gone and Joseph has no more reason to be nice to them because he was only doing it in their mind for their dad's sake. But now that he's gone and he's got all the power and authority and look at all these things, we owe him some, I bet he's going to take it out on us. And so they come to them and they're, they're afraid. They're afraid. And if you read chapter 45, verses 5 through 8, you know what he says? See, you sent me here and you did all this. And here, ready? Hebrew phrase, he goes, but now... But now things are different because I forgive you and I'm going to provide for you and I'm going to protect you. And at the end of the book in chapter 50, the famous verses that we all know and have partly memorized at least, right? 19 and 20, they said they come up to him and they, they're, they're begging him, please forgive us. And it says because they were afraid. And here's what Joseph says to them, fear not. Because they're having a hard time believing that someone who has power, in fact, listen to what Joseph, how he frames his power. Am I in the place of God? Remember that? He says, you know what? God is in this place. And you would think, why would God forgive me? Why would he redeem me? Why would he be so kind to me? And Joseph says, like God says to his people, I know you think that this is crazy, as bad as you've been and as evil as you've been. But here's what Joseph says. And here's what God says. Fear not. Because he says, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And he says, and I'm going to take care of you and your little ones. Why? Because Joseph was just like God. Can I tell you this? That's what God is tonight for every one of us. We are not vessels of wrath only because of his grace and mercy to us. And can I tell you, I hope that that humbles you. I hope that it really makes you get low sometimes. You know why? Because here's what God says. That's the story that you live in. How is it possible that God would be forgiving and kind and still love us? He says, fear not. Now, we're going to be done because our time's almost up. Let me give you the rest of the outline. Ready? Let's learn a little bit about Bible study again tonight. Ready? Fear not is mentioned twice. That's the way that we figure out what the text is about. And he's going to give us three reasons and you got to be able to know how, when you study the Bible, how do things connect in your passage? He uses the three reasons, and he marks them off, like everybody does in the Bible, with a little word, F-O-R. Now he's going to say, fear not, and those, three, those two little fear nots are going to be coupled by three F-O-R words, and they're going to give the reasons. So if you're a pastor, you're looking for structure like this because it makes the points easy. Let me give them to you. Ready? First one. 
Verse 1, fear not, circle it, for I have redeemed you. Second one, verse 3, second time he uses little four, for I am the Lord your God. Second one is after, fear not, second time. Third reason, for I am with you. See, that, that's what he's going to build an argument because here's what he wants to move Israel's heart. I want you to know what your God has done for you when you are the least worthy of it. You know when Jacob comes out of having that, the uh, struggle in Peniel, you know in the next verses, you know what he says? God, I am not worthy of the least of all of your mercies. You know why? Because he knows that God has been kind to him far more than he deserved. And to be Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob is all of mercy. And here's what he wants Israel to get. And here's what he wants you and I to get tonight. You know how you live in God's story? Humbly. Because you're not worthy of it. And I'm not worthy of it. And God's been so good to us. He says, here's the first reason. I've redeemed you. I bought you out. You used to be a slave. You used to be in bondage to Egypt. Tonight he would say, and we all have but nows, right? You used to be an alcoholic. You used to be in drugs. You used to be in this. You used to be this. Your anger used to zero to 60. That used to be you. Remember that? You used, and you could come up and everybody in here could tell their story, but now. And he says, I want you to know I redeemed you. You didn't come after me. I came after you. And redeem always means I paid the price. I paid the price to buy you out of it, even when you weren't worth anything in that sense. I called you by name. You were mine. And what trouble would he go to? When you notice, circle it again. When twice. When you pass through the waters, when you walk through the fire. See, you know what he did to get them to be in his story? He brought them out and redeemed them through the waters of the Red Sea, through the fires of Babylon, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, God says, listen, look at the pictures of all that I showed you when I brought you out of bondage, when you were disobedient. See, I have the exodus in Egypt. I have the exodus in Babylon. And the greatest exodus, Luke 9.31, is Jesus dying on the cross, the ultimate payment for redemption. And he says, I want you to keep looking at the cross. I want you to keep looking at Jesus. Why? Because that's where it starts. That's when you live in God's story, when you realize what it costs God to redeem you out of your sin. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the love of Christ compels me. It moves me. We can never get over the fact of what God has done for us and what he brings. So let me give you a little outline in between. This is for you, again, for your own. God's pardon, he redeemed us. God's presence, and both the fear not statements, he gives a little accompaniment of I am with you both times. God's pardon leads to God's presence, which leads to God's protection, where he says, I will give you people up for you, or I should say protection, where he says he will bring them back to Israel again, or, or the land of Canaan, his preference for them and how he exchanged people. God says, see, this is what I do for you. I'm willing to bring you back. I'm willing to change your life and I will redeem you. So don't be afraid. Last one, and we'll have to close. He gives some promises at the end. Can you look at the third little reason? 
Verse five, fear not, second time, I'm with you. Now, now watch this, I'm gonna give you the last little part to study again on your own. What will God do for us? He will work in our lives no matter what the direction that we've gone off from him. Because he says in verses five and six, look at it, east, west, north, south. So no matter what direction you've strayed from him, he's gonna come after you. No matter the direction, watch, no matter the distance, because the next, it says also, I'm gonna bring my children from afar and from the ends of the earth. That's a way of saying, no matter how far I gotta go, no matter how far you go away from me, see, I love you, you're mine. If you're truly, see, I'm gonna come after you and bring you back. So no matter what the direction, no matter the distance, and then he says, no matter the difficulty, because here's what he says to those who have you captive, give them up, he says in Hebrew. It means surrender them. Somebody's got a hold of your life. Here's what he says, I'm gonna come after you and make them give you back. He says, do not withhold them. And it means to let someone go out of prison. How much does God love you tonight? And this should move you, that when you are disobedient and you stray from him, here's what he says. No matter what the direction is, I'm coming. No matter what the distance, I'm coming. No matter what the difficulty, no matter what hold someone has on your life, no matter how bad off you've been, I'm coming. No matter what the disobedience, because here's what he says, my sons and daughters, because there's a family link, because if you're really his, he says, everyone who is called by my name, he won't let you go. He comes for you. He comes for God's people, and he brings them to places like tonight. He brings you here so you can hear his word. Why? Because God is gonna finish what he started. Tonight, I hope that you're moved by this. But now, but now, God wants you to know that he is working in your life to not only create you and form you, but recreate and reform you so that you can live in his story. And when you live in his story, he says this, fear not, I'm with you. I'm gonna be with you. And let me tell you tonight, we're gonna close in prayer and here's what I'd like you to do. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Would you do this tonight in the last couple of minutes we have? Would you think of someone tonight? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's someone in your family. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's one of your children. Maybe it's a friend that you have. Would you pray for them by name tonight and say, God, I know this such and such, and they're not living in your story. They're not. Father, I pray that you would work in their lives. Go after them because the distance is great, the direction is out there. The difficulty, you say, God, I know all of that. That's where they really are. But here's what I know, God, if they're yours, you're gonna go after them. You're gonna bring them back. And none of that stuff matters because you could overcome it all. Would you pray for them tonight? And say, God, I'm praying for them tonight. And then I'm asking you, secondly, would you use me? Would you use me? to be the person that you would bring them back. And if not me, God, would you use someone else? That they might come back to live in your story. That they wouldn't have to be afraid of what their future is because, God, you have it all under control because they're coming back to you. Would you do that tonight? And then we'll close in prayer in just a few moments. Father, there are people tonight by name heavy on our hearts. 
They're living on the wrong side of the but now. But we know, God, that you are mighty to save. And you can take Jacob's and turn them into Israel. In fact, so many of us tonight would say that that's what you've done for us. Father, may we, first of all, individually tonight, be moved by all that you are and all that you have done for us, the waters you've brought us through, the fires that didn't burn us and consume us like they should have. Instead, you let them consume your son in our place. May his wonderful blood shed redemption move our hearts to live differently, worthily of you. Father, tonight for the people we're praying for individually by name, we pray that you would so move in their lives as well. May they see how much you love them, that you desire them, and that you see that they are precious to you and that you're coming for them and that you can forgive anything. Turn them back to you, Lord. Turn them back to your story, the story of your glory, not theirs that you might get the glory and worship and honor through that that you alone deserve. And we'll praise you and bless you and thank you for it. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen.